Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. Today we continue our study on God and I thank our brother Dave in Stumper who two weeks ago who introduced us to uh, this God, the existence of God and the purpose of God for the people of this world. God wants to do good for people and I encourage you if you haven't been present to hear it here go and listen to it again online the gospel sounded <coughs> foolish to some people in the days of Paul and today even more because we have more unbelievers among us who don't believe God and uh, don't believe that God wants to do good for them. But at least today, all who are called Christians, uh, Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, all these denominations, uh, we believe that they care uh, about this God and they believe that God cares for them and wants good for their lives. They, uh, they believe that he's helping people for the future life. And we notice that people from <clears throat> all nations, uh, all tribes, uh, whatever their ethnicity, their language, their color might be, they worship a God and they feel that uh, this God lives and depend on this God. Now, if the God, of course, is true or not, some other thing. But we see that people always believe in something. And uh, the Bible adds to this idea of help and forgiveness by saying that God in his great love for people he sent he sent his only begotten son the only son he had to help uh, to come and save people as we remember the verse in the gospel of John chapter 3 verse uh, 16 so much the Lord loved the world that he gave his only son to die for the people who believed in him. There is a purpose in life. So what do we need to know about a God who the Bible says is a jealous God, he's a judge, he's a creator, he's perfect, he's everywhere, he knows everything, he's a helper, supporter, deliverer, and many other things as we read uh, last week in our meeting here. Who is this God who cares uh, for our own well-being and helps us to salvation? 
It's so important to know who cares about us. And if we turn to the book of Acts, there is a, a verse that I always use and I remember it and I thank God for it. In the 20th chapter of the Acts, verse 27, Paul speaks to the elders of Ephesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem, but as he is going down the uh, Asia Minor, he stops in different places and he didn't want to go to Ephesus because he thought that if I go there, they would not let me leave, leave and go to Jerusalem. So he went to Miletus and asked all these elders from Ephesus to come to him. And he told them, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Wow. To know the will of God. To know how God feels about us. To know what God is doing about us. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, we know that church is not the building. Church is the gathering of the people who believe in God and they are one body, united. So God speaks to this body and he speaks to the people who are more concerned, more uh, interested, they have a duty to do. And he says, I will tell you the whole will of God, what God wants from you. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers. Uh, overseers, they were the pastors, were the <clears throat> people who are taking care of the church. And he says, the Holy Spirit has put you there. Be shepherds of the church of God. So he put them overseas where? For the church of God. So the church is God's. And he puts these overseers to take care of the church. So be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So whose church is this? Who bought the church with his blood? We know from the Bible that God himself didn't come down to die for the church. Who died for the church? Jesus Christ. So we have a body here, the church, and it's God's church. He owns it. He owns the people because he called them out from sin to be in the church. And this church also, it seems that it belongs to God, the Spirit, 
and the sun. So we start understanding that this church that belongs to God belong to these three people. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is all the point of this verse, to show us clearly that God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because nobody else died with his own blood, he says, for this church. Only Jesus died for this church. Nobody else. So, Paul is speaking to the church about this God. So what do we understand from these verses we have just read? When Paul speaks about God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He speaks about God. But God with three people. Is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's three in one. It's one God in three persons. If we try to understand it with our own limited human mind, how this could be. I remember when I was a little boy and I was going to the Sunday school and we had a nice uh, deacon teaching us the word of God every Saturday afternoon. He made us love God with his uh, words about God, the, the verses that he was reading, the way he was talking to us. He made us appreciate more this God and we loved him. But we could never understand. Rather, we didn't want to understand. It was too much for us. We were happy. We believe in God. Yeah, we believe in Jesus Christ. But we never thought, who actually is Jesus Christ? Who is the Holy Spirit? We are innocent kids. But it was so important to understand this God. But if we try to explain it with our mind, we will end up somewhere that is wrong. And this is exactly what happened in the early church. Because when we start to understand something and we want to present it through our own understanding, through our own eyes, we are wrong. And <clears throat> all these ideas are creeping up to our mind and lead us to the wrong direction. People expressing their understanding of who God is. And this is what Paul exactly now wants the leaders of the church from Ephesus. And he says to them, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among, among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw, to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day, with tears. 
So it's so important <coughs> to know the truth, who God is. Sometimes you think, well, if I miss a few details, it's not the sin. It is a sin, because by omitting some of the truth, you let people to believe whatever they want. So we have to be ready to tell people the whole truth about God without being ashamed, embarrassed, or afraid. And one of these early workers of the church, a priest called Arius, who was, uh, I believe, a pastor in Alexandria, Egypt, had this uh, idea, this opinion, that Jesus is not God himself, but a created being. And of course, uh, this new opinion, this new theory in the church started bringing conflict between the believers. And the Bishop of Alexandria, who was called Alexander himself, was talking with him and there was disputing about the truth of the Bible. But Arius didn't want to submit, they want to change his mind about what he believed. And what Arius did all these 2,000 years ago is what the Jehovah Witnesses have done in our modern days now. <clears throat> they believe that Jesus is not God himself, is a God. And one asks them, what do you mean he's a God? How many gods do they exist? Because from what I believe uh, from the Bible, there is only one God. So who is this God that you describe? And then if you believe that Jesus is another God, it means that there are other gods again beside him. So you see how <clears throat> important it is to keep to the truth. Because with a little lie, you can lead a big crowd away from the truth. So <clears throat> this bishop uh, called the local council of the believers in Egypt and they declared Darius as a heretic. But he didn't stop. Unfortunately, he left uh, Egypt and went uh, to Palestine and he started preaching the same message. And of course, this word reached the ears of the emperor, Emperor Constantine, who was in Constantinople. And he don't uh, declared Christianity as the official religion of the people because we have this wrong impression that Constantine made Christianity the faith of the, of the state. No, he just showed tolerance. He said that you can believe in Christ, you can believe in you know, your faith, and nobody will touch you, nobody will um, persecute you. So when he heard that this bishop was spreading this, uh, this pastor was 
spreading these rumors, he was worried because that would bring a split in the whole empire. <coughs> so he called um, the representatives of the churches, of the faith, some 1,300 people, to go to uh, Asia Minor in Nikea to discuss this subject. So out of these 1,300, of course, only 350 went to the meeting. And there were still some representatives of Arius in that meeting. But their voice was not too strong. So uh, the, <clears throat> the Synod started studying the truth about the person of Jesus Christ. We use the word Trinity, which means three people in one person. <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in the Bible, you will never find this word anywhere. We can never find this word written in the Bible. So the council decided they, they did not decide on the word of Trinity, but dealt primarily with the divinity of Christ. Because if they could show the people, make them understand that God is not what Arius says. He is the Son, but He is God Himself. So they were using verses from uh, the Bible, especially the New Testament, to prove what they were saying. So they used verses from Matthew 28:19, from Luke 3, 21, 22, uh, 2 Corinthians, 1 Peter, 1 John, and one of the verses was saying that Jesus' words himself was in the name, uh, sorry, uh, in the, no, I'm wrong, sorry. It wasn't Jesus who said it, but it was written in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When uh, Jesus sent them to go in the Great Commission, where before he ascended to heaven, he sent his disciples to go all over the known world and preach, teach, baptize. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it means that they were not baptized in the name of just anybody. They baptized them in the name of God because Somebody who was baptized means that he believed in God. Remember in the Acts when uh, the uh, apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and the Peter started preaching uh, to the big crowd in front of him. Uh, many, believed, many people believed in Jesus and came to the church. So Peter said, now that you have believed and you have come to Christ, you have to go and be baptized. And then they remain, the Bible says, they remain in the feet of the apostles for more teaching. So 
The baptism was a very important part of the Christian life. And the people who were baptized, and in the Orthodox Church, I don't know about the Catholic, uh, still, when somebody is being baptized, they baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's, you know, a rule. Because if you are not baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. That's what the Orthodox Church preaches. Unfortunately, the council's decision was not enough to stop the split in the early church. And they started gaining more supporters, unfortunately. And after quite a long period of time, 55 years later, the Emperor Theodosius, who in 380 AD declared the Christianity as the religion of the state, was concerned about the situation with Arius and his teaching, and he called another council, another synod, with the leaders of the church. So in 381 AD, he called the synod to complete the first synod of Nicaea. And <clears throat> the result of the first and second synods is what we have now known as the Nicene Creed, which is a very important document and not just for the church, but also for the believers. Um, I believe that it's fundamental that somebody who comes to the faith, somebody who comes to God, has to know these truths of this Nicene Creed. And I have a copy here. And it goes as well. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men, for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born in the Virgin Mary and became one. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Speaking about Jesus Christ, what is this? And then it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. 
he has spoken through the prophets. We believe in an holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for forgiveness of sin. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So, this uh, creed was important for every Christian. It's not just uh, a prayer to remember just for the sake of remembering the Nicene Creed. But it's a statement of faith. It's a declaration of faith. Actually, every Christian should believe in that and believe every word that this creed says. So, <clears throat> in the first synod of Nicaea, uh, seven articles, seven verses were put together for this creed. And then in the second synod of Constantinople, another five verses came together to complete this statement of faith. Twelve verses. So it is a statement as it comes under the word we believe. When you say I believe, you are sure of what you are saying. You commit yourself. It's a declaration. You cannot say I believe just for the sake of ah, let them think that I'm with them. It's something that is personal for each one of us. We believe. And the first nine verses, <clears throat> as we have read, is also a confession, an anticipation. The first verse refers to the Father. And in Ephesians 4 and 6, we read, one God and Father of all, who is <clears throat> over all and through all and in all. This is the Father, creator of the world. He created the world from nothing. He created with love the earth and the skies and even the things we cannot see. Who knows what's in the depth of this earth that we are on? We know that some of the uh, big um, sorry, forgot the word. I'll come back to you. Uh, everything that's in the depth of this planet, only God knows. So, we must believe. It's not a matter of persuading ourselves through knowledge. It's something that we have to believe to understand. Because we cannot explain with our mind the creation of the world. How he created man. Why he created man. When we start thinking 
as I did, unfortunately, in my late uh, teenagers, you know, time, I started, I was mixed up with a group of people, and we started looking at the UFOs and life in other planets and all these stupid things. And we ended up all saying, so where is God in all this? God has created the world. And what about all these other planets? Why doesn't the Bible say anything about it? Of course he says, he created the whole world. So I became a kind of unbeliever and I was saying, there is no point talking about God. I don't believe in God. And I was saying sorry to God later on, a few years later, and I said, how stupid I was to come to this conclusion. But it was only because I was thinking with my human mind. And I was trying to explain God. How can you explain God? He says, I'm the beginning and the end. But where is the beginning? Where is the end? Is God going to stop one day being God? When you start you know, examining these little things, you end up thinking, oh, well, it's just a theory. But when you believe God, you say, thank you God because I'm part of this creation. It's enough for me to know you as my creator. So this uh, Nicene Creed was trying to strengthen the belief in God, the triune God, the Trinity. In verses 2 to 7, refer to the Son. Because it says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. Through, th through him, all things were made. As we read in the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, nothing was made that it wasn't by him. So, if somebody had the power to create the world, who really is this person? The word. And who is the word? Jesus Christ. And for us, he left the glory of heaven and came down to earth to be born as a servant. And he suffered, died, buried, and then he rose again and ascended into heaven. But he would come again. Hallelujah. He said, I'm going now to prepare a place for you. And then I will come. I will come to take you. So maybe we talk about the side of the believers. Not the unbelievers, because the unbelievers don't believe in these things. But us, as believers, we believe and we hope. And in Matthew, uh, when Jesus went to be baptized by John the Baptist, remember that God appeared and says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm very pleased. 
And Jesus in the Gospel of John in the 10th chapter says, I and the Father, we are one. And in John 1.3, he says, through him all things were made. In Philippians, we read that he came to be a servant for our sakes. He became our sacrifice. <clears throat> he died on the cross. And when he went to the grave, he went to Hades and defeated death, the kingdom of darkness. And we live because he lives. And he will come back in glory this time to establish his kingdom on earth. So if he's not God, how could he come and be the leader of this world? In verse 8, we read that he was the one who inspired the prophets of God. Who was that? The Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 6, Jesus promised that he was the one who will come to help us, guide us, teach us, and he was to stay with us forever. Amen. Then we read that the church, which was the body of believers, was created, organized by Jesus himself when he chose the 12 apostles and he sent them to the people to preach and heal the sick. And there's only one church, God's church. Then we read about the baptism and I said, it's very important because by doing it, we declare our faith. We accept to go under the water signifying Jesus' death, who went under the earth. And then as Jesus rose up, we rose up from the water, clean and saved, forgiven with a new life. We believe in the resurrection of the dead because Jesus promised to come back to take us with him to the new world he created. And then verse 12 says, the true life which God promised will come after death and it will be forever with God. Jesus promised it. Come to me and I will give you life. For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.